Oh, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Living Room Worship here at Ethos. We are so glad to have you with us again as we worship together. We trust that you will be blessed by praising our King and, and singing His praises, recognizing that He is worthy of all praise. It would seem that we are moving ever closer to a time when we may be able to worship together in person once more. We don't have a timeline as yet when that might be, but please know that we are longing for that time as we know you are as well. Until that day, we will worship together right here, knowing that God hears and enjoys the praises of His saints. May His name be praised. Charlie, lead us in singing praises to our God. Hey, everyone. I want to thank you for tuning in. I hope you're well. I want to remind you to let us know how we could better serve you by dropping a comment below. And hit the like button if these videos have affected you in a positive way. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 717. I will give the Lord thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for showing us how to live better here on this earth together. Thank you for bringing us into your kingdom, a kingdom ruled by love and justice. Thank you for helping us to see you in each other, to love one another well, and to love you above all. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing, Come As You Are. Sadness from wherever you've been. Come, broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come, find your mercy, oh sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your
Come sit at the table Come taste the grace There's rest for the weary Rest that endures Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't cure So lay down your Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son To make a wretch his treasure How great the pain of searing loss The father turns his face away As wounds which mar the chosen Bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon the cross 
my sin upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished Charlie for leading us in worship today. Now would you all please join with me in prayer as we go before our Heavenly Father. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and acknowledge that we have sinned against you with the sin of our hearts and the sin of our bodies. We have sinned in what we have done and what we have left undone, and we have not loved you with our heart and with our soul and mind and strength. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, your word says that our thoughts are only evil all the time and that there is no one who is righteous, not even one. Father, we ask that you grant us humility and eyes to see our own sin and our need for you For without you, God, we are hopeless and destitute. Father, please forgive us. I thank you, Lord, that we know that you have banished our sins 
as far as the east is from the west. We know that Christ's work on the cross has redeemed us back from slavery and wiped clean our record. Lord, you have not only forgiven us, but you have adopted us as your own children. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we know that there is now no longer any condemnation. Our debt has been paid and there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Thanks be to God. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's scripture is John 11, 1 through 4. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In 1543, Nicholas Copernicus proposed a theory that rocked the world and forever changed how men would view their world. For you see, he proposed that the earth revolved around the sun and not the other way around. Well, it was a cosmic shift in worldview of those who followed along behind. The term Copernican revolution or Copernican event has come to be known as a way to describe a radical shift in one's worldview. I've had a few of those in my lifetime. Sometimes they occurred over a period of time and sometimes in a moment. One of those shifts came when I read a book, a book by John Piper, entitled God's Passion for His Glory. In this book, he reprinted Jonathan Edwards' book, The End for Which God Created the World, and then he added his own commentary to it. It rocked my world. And the deeper I got into it, the more convinced I was of its theme and a recognition of how pervasive it would become in my thinking. It was a Copernican event for me. The main premise of the book is that God does everything that He does for His own glory. Now that's a pretty bold statement to declare that you know why God does what He does. But Edwards quoted scripture after scripture, providing irrefutable evidence that what he said was true. God is passionate for his glory, and displaying his glory is at the root of why he does everything that he does. I was reminded of this massive truth as I read in John chapter 11 of the raising of Lazarus from the dead as recorded in John's gospel. The story is simple. The chapter begins with its messengers coming to Jesus and saying that Lazarus was on his deathbed. 
As the story goes, Jesus waited an extra two days before He made the two-day journey to Bethany to find out that Lazarus had been dead for four days. Well, then Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus had raised the dead before. I mean, anytime you raise someone from the dead, it's a pretty remarkable day, right? He, he had raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He had raised the son of the widow in Gospel of Luke. But this miracle is different. He raised Lazarus from a four-day-old dead. I mean, there are things that happen to a four-day-old dead man that makes it even more significant. And in days to come, we'll talk about that. But why did Jesus orchestrate these events in the way that He did? John records the words of Jesus in verse 4 of our text. Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Lazarus was deathly ill and then resurrected for the glory of God. This account is but one of dozens found in Scripture where God expressly declares that He does what He does for His own glory. This morning I want to briefly trace this story arc throughout the words of Scripture, especially through Redemption's story, to see God's passion for His glory. But before starting our trek, I want to be sure that we're all on the same sheet of music. The first thing we need to understand is what does it mean to give glory to God? I find that often we use uh, theological terms very loosely, and we could give you a pretty ballpark understanding of what those terms mean, but it's really important for us to really understand this term of glory. Glory can be defined as the quality in a person or things that brings forth praise or honor. So the more beautiful or the more excellent something is, the more glory it is and the more recognition that it deserves. There is something deep within us that desires to share this beauty or this experience when we come across it we find something that we recognize as glorious, worthy of recognition. And we want to tell somebody else, hey, look and see what I found. To give glory to God means that I recognize and I appreciate the surpassing beauty of God. The scriptures express that God interacts with His creation so that we might see and recognize His beauty and praise Him for who He is and what He has done. 
With these thoughts in mind, let's look at the story arc of the scriptures. We start with creation itself. The world was created in order that God would receive glory. In creation, God went public with His attributes. His wisdom, His power, all being clearly displayed. The biblical story of creation reaches its climax on the sixth day of creation when God creates man. And we are told that God created Adam in his image. To create in his image, God wanted Adam to accurately reflect back God's image to him. The creator receiving the reflection of his attributes in mankind. Just like we look in a mirror and we see our own reflected image, God desired for man to mirror back his image, his attributes, in response to him. But you see, when Adam sinned and he fell, that image became skewed. We are no longer an accurate image. For you see, at the heart of sin is a desire for our own glory, a desire that we would be singled out and recognized as glorious rather than God's desire that He placed within us for His glory. We can see this clearly in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. God had instructed mankind to go forth into all the earth and be fruitful and multiply. But instead, man chose to congregate in one place. They chose to build a tower. Now, why would they build a tower? Why was that important? Well, we find in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4 that they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You see, the point of this story is that men sought to make a name for themselves. Men sought their own glory. They were to be image bearers of God, created to reflect back His glory, not to establish their own glory. This desire for self-exaltation was the chief sin committed by those at the Tower of Babel. And we find that God thwarted that move because He will not share His glory with another. Isaiah 48, 11, God writes, For my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned my glory I will not give to another. We were created for His glory. But also, we were redeemed for His glory. 
When God saved me, it was primarily for His own glory. We often put ourselves at the center of redemption story. Our need is our focus. Although we are in desperate need, our need is not the primary factor in our redemption. The key motive in redemption is God's own glory. Jesus went to the cross for His Father's glory. His whole life and ministry was marked by a desire for His Father's glory. Let me give you a few examples. In John chapter 17 and verse 4, Jesus in His high priestly prayer prays to His Father saying, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus glorified His Father, and now His Father is glorifying Him. In John chapter 7, verse 18, Jesus says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of Him who sent Him is true. And in Him, there's no falsehood. Jesus' purpose while He walked this earth was to glorify His Father. Further, this is seen in His death as well in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 27. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. You see, the purpose of Jesus' death on the cross was to glorify the Father by purchasing the people for His own possession that the Father had given to Him. Any view of the cross which does not give priority to the glory of God is a partial and incomplete view. You see, Jesus suffered and died on the cross of Calvary so that He might repair the injury done to God's reputation in the past. So why did Jesus die for God's glory? God had chosen to forgive sinners in the Old Testament. We read from the accounts that He loved sinners and He tolerated Old Testament sinners, and he called them his friends. There are those whom he did not condemn. He did not treat them as it would have been appropriate for a holy and just God to treat them in light of their sinfulness. So for all outward appearances, it would seem that God had simply overlooked their sin and blessed them anyway. He gave the watching world the impression that His justice and His holiness was not as important to Him as His mercy and His grace because He overlooked their sins and did not condemn them. They weren't righteous. 
and yet he called them his own. So to an observer, it would seem that he forfeited the glory of his righteousness and his justice. God sent Jesus to the cross to end once and for all any question regarding his justice and his righteousness. We are told very clearly in Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, about why Jesus came. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, with Jesus' death on the cross, he vindicated God's reputation by suffering at his own Father's hand the justice that was due those whom he had forgiven. Jesus suffered and he died for the glory of his Father. This demonstrated for all to see the vast righteousness and justice of his Father. He also declared God that to uh, others that God was a God of infinite mercy who would redeem fallen men, men who were reflecting that skewed image of God. He redeemed us so that that skewed image might be brought back into alignment. My friend, the essence of salvation then is to bring us to a place where we can again bring glory to God by reflecting an accurate image back to Him. The psalmist writes in Psalm 79, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone us for our sins for your name's sake. The ultimate reason that he saves for himself a people, for his own possession, is to display his immense love, grace, and mercy. At the same time, he displays his justice and his righteousness. Salvation and his, the antithesis, eternal condemnation, were all designed in God's providence to declare his attributes before all creation that all might give glory to God. God does everything he does for his own glory. Now let's look again at God's glory in the story of Lazarus. The resurrection of Lazarus declares that Jesus has the power over death. In our trek through this gospel, we have seen Jesus heal the lame and the blind. We have seen him feed 
over 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. We've seen him walk on the water. But the greatest miracle that we've seen is Jesus raising from the dead Lazarus. And it shows his power over death. There is nothing on this earth that is more powerful, more certain than the power of death. And he conquered it. His divinity, his power, and his might are all displayed for all to see when he conquered men's chief enemy. At the tomb, when he was visiting with Martha, he told her this right before he raised Lazarus in verse 40. He told her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So what Jesus is saying to Martha is that if you believe that I am indeed the Son of God, you will see the glory of my Father displayed in the resurrection of your brother. If you don't recognize that I am the Son of God, you will be really happy to have your brother back, but you'll miss seeing my glory. It is one thing to rejoice over receiving good gifts from His hand and a completely different thing to see God as the giver of these good gifts and praise His name. My friend, we receive many good gifts from our Father's hands. Every beat of our heart, every breath of our mouth is a gift from His hand. We have family and friends who are dear to us. We received beautiful spring weather this week. We bless Him as we see creation waking up from winter's nap. Many of us have traveled and seen beautiful things. For many of us, we have received forgiveness of sin and now have a relationship with God Himself that is totally undeserved, we are very blessed. But may I plead with you to see with the eyes of your heart always looking past the gift to see the beauty of the giver of the gift. You were created to receive with your eyes and your mind and your heart, the evidence that God has given all around you that He is infinitely glorious and worthy to be praised. To the degree that you see the glory of God, you will be fulfilling what you were created to do, what you were redeemed to do, to see, to recognize, and appreciate the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray together that you would give us eyes to see and a heart to understand and recognize and receive gladly your gifts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please receive the Lord's benediction. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.